Hello, Houghton Heroes and anybody else tuning in. I'm Rachel and I'm with the Out for Blood podcast. Um, I'm the marketing manager at Houghton and I have two guests with me today. I have Martin, our COO with Houghton. And then I also have Howie Long. Um, we have a special story we're going to be sharing today. He is a paramedic in town in Kern County and also was an attendee of the Route 91 uh, Festival where there was a shooting in Las Vegas. So we're going to get into more details, but we're going to start off with a program that we're partnering up with blood banks all over the country. Um, it's called the Burke Program, and Martin's going to go into more details about that. Yeah, so uh, we're really excited about it. So it's called the Burke Program, and it stands for Blood Emergency Readiness Corps. Um, and it's really, as of today, um, it's a uh, joint venture with six other blood centers, so seven blood centers total. Uh, and really, our mission is to always be prepared in the event of um, any kind of mass tragedy or trauma, such as the Route 91 shooting. Um, because what we've experienced in the blood banking world is that you can never anticipate these things happening, and you can really never be ready for it. Um, and we're going to hear um, a very, very specific example and experience from Howie. Um, but as blood banks, typically what ends up happening, uh, and we saw this on 9-11, is that something like this will happen, and then for days and weeks after, um, people want to come in and help, and they want to donate blood to help those people that were impacted. But the challenge is that the blood isn't really needed um, three to four weeks after what it's needed when the tragedy happens. So when tragedy strikes, that's when we're scrambling to try to collect the blood, and that's what this program is trying to do. It's trying to be ready for today um, and then also have some elements of it where we can communicate this information and share with people that these things are still happening uh, because we're we're in a little bit of a different world now. And I think uh, as a society, we're getting a little desensitized to these things happening around the world. Uh, and there's so much happening in the media and so much information and uh, just so much noise going on that sometimes when things happen, uh, they just they don't get the kind of attention that they deserve. Uh, and it uh, it doesn't always lead to more collections to help these people that are that are in need. So, yeah. So really, we're just wanting to be prepared for any situation. And at the end of the day, we're all in this together and we want to make sure lives are being saved. And so we want to help people that are experiencing something that's outside of our county um, because they'll help us if we're in that situation. Um, hope we're never in that situation, but at least we would be prepared if we were. Um, and so... We can go ahead and get into um, your testimonial, and I can't believe it's already almost the fourth year anniversary yeah. of the Vegas shooting. October first will be four years. Wow, that's yeah. that's it's crazy to me because we had um, I personally knew a lot of people that were affected that day and were attending the concert and. I mean, you don't you don't get over these situations. It's something that's always in the back of your mind. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, you know the anniversary every year. I'm sure you reflect on it um, all the time. So um, if you can, just introduce yourself, um, tell what you do, and then we can get into what happened that night. Um, my name's Howie. I'm an EMT. But uh, I wasn't there that night as an EMT. I was a regular concert goer mm -hmm. that night than it happened. Um, like I said, uh, October 1st is the fourth year anniversary of it, and I've been an EMT for five years, so I had just barely finished all my EMT schooling when that had happened. Wow. Um, so what was, what was going through your mind when you realized what was happening? Because 
this this doesn't happen to people often. This is what you see in the movies. You don't ever think of yourself being in a situation like this. So what was going through your mind when you realized that you the situation wasn't good? Yeah, first, nobody knew what it was. People were saying it was firecrackers or it was the speakers popping or it was part of the show. So nobody was running or trying to hide or go anywhere. Everybody was just standing still. And then uh, they had turned all the house lights on. So everybody was looking around. And then we heard more shooting, more shots going off. So everybody kind of just got down on the ground and was thinking we're all safe. If we get down, everybody was saying, get down, get down on the ground. So everybody got down low and I had my wife with me. So I was making sure that she got down. And then I was trying to look around to see where it was coming from. And then you can hear just more shooting, just rapid firing going on. And you can almost see it going down into the crowd. So then that's when I looked to make sure my wife wasn't hit and I wanted to help her get up. And I helped her get up. I was like, we gotta go. We're not safe just being sitting here on the ground. Yeah. And then I looked back and I could just see like a wave of people. Everybody was just getting up and running because everybody's realizing just being that's on the ground is not safe. You gotta get out of there. Mm -hmm. So we started, I was following my wife to make sure we can go and we started heading to a corner and that we had been there earlier that in that area earlier that night. And I know it's a dead end. We don't know where no emergency exits are or anything like that. And the corner we're heading to, I know it's a dead end, but I'm just making sure my wife's getting out of here. And then uh, she stops and I run right into her. Somebody had fell and she was helping that person get up so didn't get trampled because here comes the crowd and everybody's just going everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we went to that dead end and they had knocked the temporary fencing down and we were out into a parking lot. So we, me and her, I made sure we're going, we get out into the parking lot and there's a car that's just sitting there idling. I remember seeing the exhaust and the taillights on, but me and my wife jumped in the back seat. And I was telling the driver, go, we got to get out of here. And then before he could take off the rear driver door open, a guy gets in and he's shot in the side. He's holding his side. So I switched places with my wife so I can get next to him. I was holding direct pressure. And I told the driver, you got to take us to the hospital, take him to the hospital. And then, like I was telling you earlier, my EMT skills kind of kicked in. So I started checking him out. And there wasn't no exit wound. He was just shot in his side, but going down his leg. So we got took him to the closest hospital. And it was uh, late at night. You know, the shooting started at 10. So this was probably getting in 11, closer to midnight, we get to the hospital and it's just a uh, come to find out it wasn't even a full hospital. It's just like a urgent care kind of place. Mm -hmm. Had one doctor, one nurse, and one guy at the desk in the emergency room that just like takes your name when you get there kind of thing. And there was already a bunch of people coming in when we got there that other people had brought from the from the concert that had been shot. And that hospital was already full in the back with people that had already been shot so me and my wife kind of set up a triage right there in the waiting room just try to get some organization going because everybody's just running around try to set everybody down and i'm trying to tell the guy that i need a first aid kit a emt bag would have been nice um they don't have nothing in the waiting room so the guy he went and got me some towels and tried to get me some gloves and give me everything that he could and me and my wife just started treating people right there in the waiting room. Probably 15, 20 people. I think I lost count, you know, mm -hmm. just 
And they were just showing up, right? Yeah, you showed up a, with the first guy, and then people were truck. just coming in. I remember a white pickup truck pulls up, and he's got like five people in the bed of his truck. He just unloads it, and he took off. He was just transporting people from over there, yeah, just bringing them to the hospital. And we were kind of organizing, putting people, and then the uh, more serious ones were going in the back with the nurse, and then whatever we could help out right there in the in the waiting room, we did what we could. Yeah. And when you're treating those people, Howie, like what's your focus? Are you like, are you actually trying to treat them and like work on the wounds? Or are you just trying to stop bleeding and stabilize it? Yeah, just trying to figure out which ones are the worst, which ones we can help. And, you know, because we're limited on medical supplies and what we have. So kind of just organizing it from best to worst, you can kind of say. But yeah, and then the ones that we can help right there are the ones that need to go back immediately. Mm-hmm. I was kind of working with the nurse on that and telling you know, which ones need to go and which ones that I can, that can help patch right then. Yeah. And were they, were they having to transport people from that urgent care out to hospitals? Like people that actually needed uh, like blood transfusions or surgery and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of other hospitals that were just getting a lot of people sent over there too. Yeah. And were all of the injuries you were seeing, were they all gunshot victims or were there other, other, other injuries that were coming through? No, most of the ones that I seen were all, bullet wounds uh, okay yeah because yeah. i know you mentioned that when you guys were escaping you know like they're not they knocked down the temporary fence and people i'm sure probably were getting stepped on and yeah, trampled, trampled on unfortunately and, and that kind of that. thing um and i think that's something that people don't realize when these things are happening is that there are other injuries besides just those wounded from, right. from a gunshot yeah. yeah and being an emt when we were there at the concert i remember because i did kind of check it out there was a uh there was a first aid station set up i think it had one emt working there because i remember telling my wife look there's the emt working this is where the station is but mm-hmm. just for that concert that many people they're just like doing you know little major minor stuff right there and then that thing got overrun quick you know you're talking over mm-hmm. 500 people injured so mm-hmm. yeah that wasn't prepared for that big of event mm-hmm. yeah and then uh you know, this, the whole, uh, just being prepared, the preparedness part, you're not, we weren't prepared for anything like that. There wasn't, we didn't have a map of like showed emergency exits or where to go or where's the hospitals or we didn't have any of that kind of information. So now being prepared, looking back, um, me and my wife, like if we go out to dinner, we always look, okay, where's emergency exit at, where we parked at, where we're going to sit at, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You have to after being in a situation yeah. like that. It's I mean, it's scary, but it's also I I wish nobody ever went through that situation, but it's amazing hearing how so many strangers got together to help each other. I mean, you got into a random person's car and pulled in another random um, victim that was shot and you you helped him and you had to flip that switch from being an attendee at this concert and you had to automatically go into EMT mode. Um, to help because I mean couldn't really do anything in that situation like I said earlier you have to either choose to to run fight or flight kind of situation so it's I mean absolutely heart-wrenching hearing some of these stories and really all of these stories Um, I mean this it's just an absolutely horrible situation and going back to like what you said with the blood there's a lot of people that came to donate like days and weeks after mm-hmm. but there was people that were bleeding out right then that mm-hmm. needed blood right then mm-hmm. yeah that's the scary thing you know you can't tell you can't tell a patient hey we your blood's not here you know we, we gotta we gotta wait till tomorrow or the next day when people show up 
And that's the really challenging thing with what we face, uh, especially in situations like this, because how many people were actually um, shot in, in this? It was over 500, right? Oh, wounded, in that ballpark. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you've got 500 people. Who knows how many of those actually need a transfusion? There's a good chance that a lot of them need some kind of treatment and some blood. Uh, and nobody has 500 or 1,000 units just sitting around waiting for something like this to happen. But somebody that needs it, they think that the hospital should just exactly. Have it. We just expect the hospitals to have it, and you know, in reality, that's the that's our job as blood bankers. Is that Provide our job that. is to have that blood ready to go, mm -hmm. but you just can't anticipate something like this. One um, of the things that people don't realize is, even with today's science, blood is not something that you can duplicate. Mm -hmm. The only way any hospital is going to get any blood is from somebody donating from volunteers. Yeah, yeah. yeah volunteers. Be manufactured. Yeah, and then. Um, like I was talking to you earlier about the program that you're doing with setting some aside, even that has to be has rotating. to keep getting cycled. Yeah, yeah it's can't, got a shelf you can't life. even set some to the side to say that's just for that. Even that's going to have to be mm -hmm. rotated because you can't even set it to the side and save it. Yeah, and then so, you know, even when you set it to the side, you're, you're. I mean, hopefully, nothing like this ever happens again. That's always our hope, right? We don't want anything mm -hmm. like this to ever happen. Um, but you know, God forbid these things end up happening you don't know what the magnitude is going to be like, and you don't know how much blood is really going to be needed. Um, so you can really never prepare for everything. You just hope that what you have is enough to soften the burden of those right. that have to, you know, deliver the treatment. Um, so you can then continue to get more blood in. And that's really what's special. I think about this program uh, with our geographic positioning with the other blood banks we're partnering with, we've got pretty good access pretty much across the country. Um, so we'll be able to leverage that network to get blood to wherever something happens as quickly as possible and just use this inventory to backfill uh, those that are sending the blood in. Because uh, typically when things like this happen, it's, it's really it's just it's it's every all hands on deck type yeah. situation. And yeah. we're looking at everybody. Uh, but our goal with the program is to to really emphasize that, hey, if something like this happens, we're here, we're ready to send this blood your way. Uh, along with anything else that we need to do, uh, should we need to, you know, acquire more blood than what we have on hand? Yeah, now, a program like that is going to be real important. If something does happen, you're not trying to have people come weeks and days later when you mm -hmm. need it right mm -hmm. away. Have it right yeah. away, yeah. And I mean, it really it hit close to home. Even though Las Vegas is four or five hour drive from Bakersfield, I mean, there was a lot of people from Kern County right. at that concert, so. It's just, you just never know when something like that's going to happen, when it's going to affect your family, your friends. It's it's scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you never know if it, it could happen here just as easy as it happened there. Mm -hmm. You never know. Yeah. That, that's why I think your program's a good deal. And bring a, if you can bring all everybody together in on it and work mm -hmm. together, it's going to help out for the big cause at the end. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize, too, you're talking all the different blood types too yeah it's not just a lot of people forget about that too they think just one donate one type of blood and it covers everybody you have to mm -hmm. you know have all the different types too and have yeah that's a good fresh. point yeah and you know the interesting thing too is that um you know o negative blood type is is one of the rarest if not the rarest because it's universal and typically in situations like this you know doctors don't have a lot of time to blood type the person to get their matching blood type they're pulling O negative off the shelf because it's universal and they're mm -hmm. trying to get blood into these people. Um, and with it being the hardest blood type to go recruit for and to collect, when something like this happens, it depletes that inventory very, very quickly. Um, so, you know, 
God forbid lightning strike twice, you're you're in a bind uh, mm-hmm. at a hospital if, mm-hmm. if you're using that much blood, O negative blood, uh, all at once. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know their blood type too. So yeah. um, in situations like that, just like Martin said, it just depletes the O negative blood supply so quickly. So again, it's it's good to have a program where we have other blood banks providing this blood for us so that we are prepared in these situations. Mm-hmm. You know, the other element of this that I think is really important is that, um, you know, we do want the blood right away as much as we can, but we still also want to leverage to uh, restore the supply afterward. Mm-hmm. And that's an element that I think is missing in, in today's world is that the, the information is just not getting shared enough. Stories like yours just aren't being shared enough for people to see, you know, these things happening and really understand the magnitude of the impact because, you see some shootings and sometimes the numbers aren't to the scale of this Vegas shooting. And it's just, you know, 20 or 30 people uh, were, were wounded in a, in a shooting. But in reality, it was maybe 20 or 30 people were shot. But then you have all these other people that were uh, dealing with this chaos and, you know, all of the running and people being injured from falling and, and hitting things or being hit. Um, so it's, it's a much, much bigger um, impact, I think, than people understand when they see situations like this. Uh, and shootings aren't all of it, obviously. You know, you've got other right. bigger disasters and mm-hmm. other kinds of tragedies that could happen. But a lot of times we only focus on those that were uh, directly impacted by the event and not looking at the extent uh, of those that were also impacted, but not directly, sort of indirectly. Um, and th- this Vegas shooting is a good example of that. Right, yeah, because that, where where we were, that hospital got ran, you know, overran quickly and they just kept coming in. And I was, I was thinking to myself while I was working on people is, is gotta quit bringing people eventually, eventually is, and I didn't realize at that time how many people were injured. It just they just kept coming and coming and coming. Mm-hmm. And, and they're probably all like, separated from their families and their friends mm-hmm. that were with them at the concert. And it started to feel like there was no end to it with people coming in, and then the hospitals already struggling with what they had at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you never want a hospital or, or a doctor or anybody to be in a situation where you say, you know, I've got a dozen victims, but I've only got enough supply for half of them. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the real scary part about all this stuff is um, that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about people's lives uh, at stake when something like this happens. And we don't want to be in that situation. Well, and it, it depends on the severity of the wound as well, because, I mean, mm-hmm. one victim could could end up using 50 units of blood. So mm-hmm. that's could be 50 donations right there and just for one person. So that's, I mean, just that night, I'd be curious to know how many transfusions were used on that day. Mm-hmm. I did a tourniquet on one guy that was shot through the femoral artery and he come walking in and lady was helping him walk in and he just leaving a trail behind him all the way. And he set him down in the waiting room and I had to put a tourniquet on his leg just to stop because he was basically going to bleed out right there in the waiting room. Yeah. That's scary. And then uh, I called the nurse because I, I knew it was her femoral artery. He was hit because he's just pouring out. And I got the nurse and she said, he's going to have to wait. There's worse off than him back there. Oh, gosh. Oh gosh. That's scary. So what did you yeah. do in that situation? Did you have to wrap yeah, it, I, stop the bleeding? He had a long sleeve shirt that he had taken off that he was holding direct pressure on it, but it was just pouring through it. And I actually took his long sleeve shirt and that's what I made a tourniquet above it and then just tied it tight as I could with him sitting down in the waiting room. I could see the puddle on his foot just getting bigger and bigger. 
And I just kept squeezing that tourniquet tighter and tighter until it stopped. And I just told him to keep holding the pressure until he can get him back there. Now, were there multiple people with experience like you in the waiting room, or was it just you helping all of these victims in the waiting room? Um, the nurse came in a lot, you know, to check, but she was mostly busy back there, and I'm just trying to organize everything for her and see who needs to go back. And but there was not really just people that there was people that came that were helping out, but not really any EMTs or doctors or anything. My wife helped out a lot. That's what I was telling you. I, I went to EMT mode to help people, and my wife went into mom mode. Mm -hmm. So she was organizing, telling everybody where to sit down and organizing everything. So, yeah. But, yeah, there was not really any other EMTs or anything there. I know there was a doctor in the back, but I never saw him. A nurse came through a few times with ones that they were rushing back there. I talked to her a few times. But other than that, it's just me and her and other people trying to help. They didn't really know what to do. There was a lot of people there trying to help. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wish you weren't there in that situation, but it was almost a blessing for some of those people that you were there and you had the experience that you did. Even though it was only a year experience, you at least knew what to do to help stop the bleeding for the one that had um, a wound in his artery. And it, it was probably a blessing to a lot of people that you were there and helped them in that situation. My wife uh, still talks to the, the original guy that got in the car with us. She got his mm -hmm. number because he was calling his parents on the phone while we were in the car while I'm trying to treat him. And he, she, my wife took the phone away from him and told his parents that we're going to stay with him the whole time and he'll be fine and we'll take care of him. So my wife still talks to him to this day and checked on him. And he turned out to be okay. Well, and I'm sure your your family and your friends probably saw the news and was probably checking in on you and you're busy taking care of people that were injured and you probably didn't have the time to respond. So it's, it's a scary situation for you guys, for your family. And so many people were dealing with that, that, that day. Right. Yeah. Scary situation. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. That's yeah. a, it's really impactful. Um, what would you tell somebody that doesn't donate blood? Do you like? Do you ever talk to people about the importance of donating blood, having seen the impact of it firsthand like that? Yeah, because a lot of people just don't realize that if the blood's can, they just expect the blood to be there for them at the hospital. But if you if you change that rule and saying you're only going to get what you donated, how are you going to look then? Is kind of how oh, I told people. That's an interesting spin. Yeah. So. Yeah. How many gallons are you? I'm a two gallon. So yeah. I would tell everybody donate. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I, I always try to use that analogy towards it. Yeah. So you expect it to be there for you. Well, how much have you donated? What yeah. if you only get what you donated? That yeah. really puts it into perspective. Yeah, it really I've never does. thought of yeah. it that way. Yeah. So, so if you donated nothing, but you expect for it to be there for you, mm -hmm. but you could donate and be there for somebody else and also there for you if you did have an emergency. Yeah. And then, like you were saying before, um, you know, it takes a while to to for to build up the blood. Even if you're donated, you can't just go do. You have to. It takes a while for your body to build it up, and a while for you guys to even build up a supply. Mm -hmm. And even that's got a shelf life. Mm -hmm. And you have to need more coming in. Just like your body slowly produces more that you can donate. It's just like it's more that you guys need just to keep your supply full mm -hmm. and it might not necessarily even just be whole blood some might have been able 
might have needed platelets or plasma. So platelets and plasma take a longer process than whole blood, and it's not as common for people to come in and donate it. But we want to always make sure that all blood products are on the shelves given these situations. Yeah, typically it's it's a cocktail of those products that get put together for mm-hmm. for the donors, depending on the need. Um, you know, depending on how much red blood they need, there'll be um, some associated plasma that needs to go with that, and then potentially some platelets that go with it. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really really important. Everybody should know their blood type, and everybody should donate and be prepared. Mm-hmm. You never know when the situation could come up. Well, I'm. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I I got the chills a couple times, and I thought I might have had to bring my tissues today. Um, so we appreciate you sharing your story, and I think this is really going to put it in perspective to show how important the Burke emergency readiness um, is for not just us, but other blood banks. And we hope that other blood banks join us as well at some point because. Again, we're all in this together, and we want to make sure that in these situations that we have help from strangers, just like um, how a stranger took you to the hospital and how you helped a stranger. We want to help. We want to help everyone. I think it's a great program, you guys all coming together. and Anything I can do to help, let me know. Yeah. Well, hopefully this story reaches some people, and they they understand the impact uh, that donating blood can have in situations like this, and then in all other kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks again, Howie, Um, and thank you, Martin, for explaining the Burke program and just being here today. Um, And thank you for everybody tuning in today. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to our Out for Blood podcast. Um, We'll be talking about some great topics next time, so um, make sure you tune in on future episodes. So again, I'm Rachel. I'm the marketing manager, and we hope to see you again soon.